Uh, this reading is John 19, 38 to 42. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jew Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. How you are buried says something about you and about your importance. You consider some of the famous mausoleums around the world. Uh, the Taj Mahal, for example, the Great Pyramid of Giza, Lenin's tomb in Moscow, these big, impressive buildings for big, impressive, important people. How you are buried says something about your importance. What does Jesus' burial say about him? Well, having given us certainty that Jesus really is the king who has died according to God's plan, John is going to show us the manner in which Jesus is buried. And John pans the camera across to two unlikely characters in the story, a man named Joseph of Arimathea and another man named Nicodemus. These are the two men who are going to take charge of Jesus' burial. First, we meet Joseph of Arimathea. We're told that he's a wealthy man from Jerusalem. More than that, he was actually a member of uh, the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, of course, were that ruling body of 70 Jewish elders who essentially ruled Israel in a religious capacity underneath the Roman authorities. These were the very people who had advocated for Jesus' crucifixion. And so it's very peculiar to find a member of the Sanhedrin, on Team Jesus. Now, we don't have any other mention of Joseph of Arimathea anywhere else in the gospel stories apart from here at Jesus' burial. So we don't know what he had heard or seen of Jesus, whether he had met and interacted with him. But whatever it was, it was enough for Joseph to have become a follower of Jesus. Luke actually tells us in his gospel that Joseph was a courageous man who was looking for the kingdom of God and that he didn't agree with the decision of the Sanhedrin to put Jesus to death. The second man that we meet is Nicodemus, and we've met him before, towards the beginning of John's gospel. In John chapter 3, you might remember that Nicodemus comes to Jesus and they have that interaction where Jesus says to Nicodemus, to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. It was obviously it left a lasting impression on Nicodemus because he too had become a follower, a Christian. Surprisingly, he also was a wealthy member of the Sanhedrin, an unlikely man to be in charge of Jesus' burial. These two are the ones who make the preparations and who find the appropriate place to place Jesus. Now, the situation for the body of a criminal who had been crucified in the Roman Empire was that under Roman law, uh, 
criminals were allowed to be taken down and handed over to their next of kin for burial, except when it came to criminals who had been executed for the crime of sedition, rebelling against the empire. They were left to hang as food for the vultures, a final act of indignity and shame. For the Jewish people, though, there were some exceptions. The Jewish people were allowed to take the bodies of their executed criminals to be buried, but only in a mass grave outside the city of Jerusalem. There was no honour for criminals in Jewish society. But we read that Joseph goes to Pilate and asks for Jesus' body. A risky move to do, for sure. And it's actually, it turns out to be precisely because of the honour for Jesus that Joseph is concerned. I want us to consider some of the significant details that John tells us in this story. Uh, Consider, first of all, the extravagance of the actions of Joseph and Nicodemus. Joseph himself, we're told, has prepared a tomb for Jesus in a garden nearby. In Matthew's Gospel, we read that this was actually Joseph's own personal tomb for his use. Now, these tombs were kind of hewn out of solid rock, caves almost, and closed with heavy stones that would roll in front and and seal across the opening. A tomb such as that was not for every person. They were uncommon. They were expensive. And so the tendency would have been to use a tomb like that again and again for all of your family members. But John actually tells us that this tomb has never been used. And so notice here that Joseph is providing Jesus with an honourable burial, something that would have been completely confounding to the Jews. This man who'd been crucified for sedition, surely he didn't deserve an honourable burial. But Joseph, he was certain that Jesus didn't deserve to be thrown into the trash heap. He was certain that Jesus was more important than that. And so Joseph did whatever he could within his means to honour Jesus, even in his death. We're told in verse 39 that Nicodemus, for his part, brought an extravagant amount of spices, myrrhs and aloes. These were spices which would have been used in the preservation of the body to help offset the smell of decomposition. And, And Nicodemus brings a huge amount of spices, 75 pounds we read, about 30-odd kilos. This is uh, not unprecedented, but certainly uncommon to use that much spice in the burial of a person, usually only reserved for royal burials. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus' life is bookended by two extravagant offerings. The wise men at his birth bringing expensive gifts, and Nicodemus at his burial, bringing expensive spices. Again, doing whatever is within his power to do to honour his king. Now, in, in both these cases, Joseph and Nicodemus, they are venerating Jesus, aren't they? They have figured it out. They've figured out that the disregard and the dishonour and the dismissal that many people had towards Jesus that that was not fitting. They have become certain that actually, even in his death, even actually because of his death, Jesus is someone who is worthy of extravagant worship. And so these men did whatever they could to bring honour to him. 
consider also the risk that they put themselves under in aligning themselves with Jesus. First of all, there was, of course, the risk of becoming ceremonially unclean from handling a dead body. That would have excluded them from all of the Passover celebrations happening that weekend. It was a risk that they were willing to take, apparently. Consider also the social consequences of this action. That in stepping uh, to align themselves with Jesus, they were stepping out of step with the majority They were breaking away from their peers. They were risking their personal honor in seeking to honor Jesus. To bury him like that, it would have been something that would have been noticed by all of their peer group, all of the members of the Sanhedrin. And so actually they may have been putting themselves in danger by doing this. To align yourself with a rebel is yourself to become an enemy of the state. So this is not an easy decision for Joseph and Nicodemus to do, to honor Jesus. John mentions, actually, interestingly, in verse 39, that Nicodemus had only previously come to Jesus under the cover of darkness. He'd come at night. And so in a literal sense, here is Nicodemus stepping out of the shadows, stepping into the light to stand up for Jesus, to be identified with him, to bear whatever consequences may come his way from aligning himself with his king. These are the actions of people who are certain, certain that this Jesus who was crucified was no mere criminal, that he was the king, God's king, who died in accordance with God's plan. And so their actions, they are a model and an example to us who share that certainty. One of the great paradoxes of the Christian life is that we simultaneously owe God nothing and everything. On the one hand, because of the death of Jesus, our sins have been taken away. Our debt towards God has been cancelled. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Colossians that the record of our indebtedness was actually nailed to that cross with Jesus. And so now we owe God nothing. And yet, we also owe God everything for his incredible love and mercy and grace towards us how could we not be eternally grateful for that in taking away our sins as he hung there on that cross with his sacrificial death jesus displays to us his infinite worth he is of more worth than anything and so he is worthy of everything that we can give, our devotion, our energy, our time, our money, our affections, our intellect, everything. In the song, When I Survey, we sing those famous words, were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Joseph and Nicodemus understood that. Friends, if you are certain that Jesus is the king who died for you, then the purpose of your life 
is clear. Even when it's hard, even when it's costly, even when the rest of the world is in total confusion, we are to step out of the shadows and into the light and to give to Jesus his worth. Everything we have. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of everything that we can give you. You have cancelled our debt and so we owe you nothing and yet your grace and your love and your mercy to us has made us grateful. Please teach us to see and to understand your infinite worth so that we would be people who give our everything in service to you, seeking your honour in our lives above all else. Amen.